Trace. This is a podcast where you trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. Uh, Chris, you're going to have to take this one away. This is really your baby. This is going to be, you're yeah. going to be the director of this show. Oh yes. my gosh. Uh, so it is the 10th anniversary of a film called 5050. And I uh, wanted to kind of dive into it because it was maybe one of, I'd say a small handful of films in the late 2000s, early 2010s that actually made me cry wow. in the theater. And I, I was, we haven't done like a tearjerker yeah, episode true. yet. And so I, and especially with like revisiting an older film, uh, well, older in quotes, of course, mm -hmm. but uh, definitely something that I think has uh, maybe changed how we look back at this kind of movie, uh, both as a cancer comedy, as a bro-y uh, Seth Rogen comedy, um, and as just like a straight up like sentimental dramedy. And uh, I'm, I was curious to see if it would make me cry again, uh, to, to give you the long and short of it. But before we get too much into it, we should welcome our guest on this week's episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. This is Blaine from Critically Aroused. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, honestly, um, when I was uh, listening through uh, some casts and trying to think of uh, who would be a good uh, uh, person to discuss, uh, this movie with I really enjoyed uh, listening to specifically the Mitchells and Machines episode that oh, you guys yeah. did a little while back because I'd watched that with my kids and uh, it seemed like this is this is kind of up your alley so I'm curious can you first tell us a little bit about your podcast and uh, what you've been doing recently for episodes and um, what your own history with uh, the movie Fifty Fifty is if anything for sure for sure um yeah i mean i definitely do have I, I guess a bit of a history with it i don't think i've seen it since it came out uh 50 50 that is but you know i i saw it i was a big well always have been a big rogan and joseph gordon levitt fan and so back when this thing you know dropped i was gung-ho for it and, and 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 did love it back when it came out and was pretty excited about it so so i did see it and do have you know previous experience and it was interesting going back to it but we can talk about all that later i guess but um as far as critically aroused we started about i guess a year and a half ago now and we basically analyze things from a perspective of just kind of honing in on what critics and general audiences think and analyzing the two and seeing where there's a rift possibly between the two or where you know critics and audience are seen eye to eye and like i was telling uh daniel earlier before we started the show we i've kind of had to change how i view movies in general because i've quit watching trailers i don't look at mm. uh, we look at minimal news um i really don't even we don't hardly even look at cast uh, it's really we keep I, I look at more info about the films that we see than the guys do, the other two uh, co-hosts do, my buddies Matt and Chris, but, you know, I, I, we really know very little about films before we go into them uh, intentionally, so that basically we're going in completely blind and giving everyone as fresh of an opinion and an, uh, you know, a unmanipulated opinion yeah, as we can. That's cool. And it, it's kind of probably Thanks. changed how you view a film. <laughs> it definitely has and and as i was telling you earlier you know is i'm honestly enjoying a lot of movies substantially more than i would have uh previously yeah. it's it's i think uh i'm trying to remember what podcast it was that i watched forever and they considered it they called it unsullied you know when you go in unsullied to a movie <laughs> you know yes. you've 
<laughs> you, you you know nothing. So it's it's been a really fun exercise for all of us. And the guys have gotten pretty religious about it, honestly. I get yelled at if I come in knowing <laughs> anything at all. That's hilarious. So, what did you, you guys did The Conjuring yeah. recently, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, we did. What did you think yeah, of that We one? did you The Conjuring. Could, you went in pretty cold, huh? You had to. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, we and we actually had recently viewed uh, the first movie because Chris, uh, who's on the podcast, does not watch horror yeah. movies at all. I mean, nothing unless <laughs> unless we force him to. And so we had him watch that one because we we're like, all right, well, you got to at least see this one. Yeah. And so we rewatched that. So it was fun going in and seeing this one. But we uh, we actually all enjoyed it. And actually, Chris enjoyed it pretty well too for not even being into horror movies. You know, it's. It's a conjuring movie. Yeah, it's a, you know it's a paint by numbers horror <laughs> you know? movie. It's I I love those personally. It, it like those are some of yeah. my favorite movies Agre- just because they're a lot of fun. Uh, our Chris, I don't yeah. know, he liked it so much. You didn't like it, did you? No, uh, but I mean, yeah, I I I don't want to. I don't want to go uh, back. You there. don't want to relive it. Uh, <laughs> let's dive into cancer comedy then. Let's, let's. Yes, right. that's that's much more enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I, I'm curious, uh, yeah. Dan. Uh, I, I'm coming in the same boat as you, Blaine. I saw this when it came out. I was very excited yeah. about it super into the rogan comedies mm-hmm. uh we recently not recently i think it was last year we did a anniversary episode on pineapple yeah, express year. oh and, awesome which dan and i agree on a lot uh we think it's very <laughs> underrated in the um pantheon of oh, yeah. <laughs> stoner yeah. comedies it's and one of my favorite films i love it man wonderful good taste <laughs> uh but this one uh, I knew that Dan and I had a, a bit of a disagreement on, but I did not know until I picked it that Dan, you had actually never seen the entire yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, so this came out in 2011. <laughs> I basically skipped movies for a year. I don't know why, what was going on in my life. Uh, I just didn't go into any movies. But this one specifically, I remember the trailer and I was like, absolutely not. No, no, no. I'm not going to the theater to watch this. Uh, I don't know why I was so, uh, it just looks so it looked really boring. It looked super sad. Uh, and it just kind of seemed like an overall bad idea, the entire concept. Um, so this is the first time I've ever seen it in the last week or so. So it's, uh, it's brand wow. new to me. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm just looking at, like, the, the basic stuff of, it, like, a summit entertainment movie. It wasn't shot for that much. I guess when I saw the trailer, I thought it was more of a mainstream film. This isn't that mainstream. Mm. Like Summit was not a huge studio back then. They had the Twilight stuff going on, obviously, but they weren't huge. A budget of eight million is like nothing uh, for a film that gets a wide release. And it did get a wide release, like 2,500 theaters. So I guess it was sort of maybe marketed in a way that made it seem like it was an Oscar bait tear jerk movie. And that's why I kind of reacted negatively to it. Uh, But seeing it now, it's like, oh, this is a little bit more of an indie flick. Uh, I mean, not truly indie, but pretty darn close. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wonder, you know, when you saw it just initially, like, uh, you know, you said you cried and stuff. Was there a strong emotional reaction? Uh, why do you think that was? Um, I, I was trying to, I was trying to remember, uh, like twenty, same thing, twenty eleven, kind of hazy at this point. I'm not really sure what was going on in my life. I had just gotten married, but hadn't had kids yet, and so. I think I was, it was, I, that was one of the years where I just saw like everything yeah. in the theater. Just like my wife and I would go to literally probably one or two movies a week at minimum. And so there was just like, we saw a lot of shit and it would just kind of became like commonplace, you know, oh, new Seth Rogen, let's go check <laughs> it out. Like we had probably 
I think we'd maybe just like binged Undeclared maybe on DVD <laughs> through Netflix and uh, Priests and Geeks, of course. And so it would just felt like, I don't know. I think that's part of it is like you go in thinking like, okay, so it's a cancer comedy. So it's going to try to tug on your heartstrings. Yeah. But the wit- the fact that it actually manages to produce some actual like genuine, like I went in there to laugh and to maybe, you know, see a, a, a nice bromance, but I did not expect to really uh, get hit emotionally with it. But I mean, it makes sense, not only because uh, you have um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who, while is definitely not one of my favorite actors, he's <laughs> definitely like the kind of guy like I was pr- I'm thinking 2011, I was probably 27 and also uh, that year. And so I, yeah, would have been close, like it, it was kind of perfect, perfectly aligned for me, especially because, you know, I've lost family members to cancer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know that that feeling of, of having a, a kind of distant relationship with my mom, that's mostly my fault. And I think that there there was just like and then you get the needle drop, uh, the scene where he's getting carted away to the surgery. It's uh, the other side of Hardtack Mountain by Liars. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. and and that it, I remember, and it was the same thing when I watched it last night. I just like immediately the song, like I didn't remember it was that song, but and then when it it hit, and you know they're trying to say goodbye, but they're also trying to cart him away. Like it's so paint by numbers to go back to your reference to The Conjuring, <laughs> but at the same time, it's so affecting and like there's a reason why it's paint by numbers just like there's a reason the conjuring movies are paint yeah. by numbers so i think that was kind of at the heart of it it was highly relatable and also uh very much just like a good mix of uh exactly what you'd want to do to 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 make a you know middle class 20 something white boy cry i love it so. i love that that's great <laughs> who do we need a synopsis do people know what this is about Oh my gosh, I, that that that's that's a good point. Go ahead and read uh, it for us. So I usually read the Adam Lerner has always tried to make uh always tried to take good care good care of his health. I can't see. I can't read stuff out loud. That's my problem. Uh, so it comes as a cruel <laughs> surprise when he learns that his malignant tumors. Uh, he has base. Okay, I'm not reading this. I can't read out loud. Uh, basically, there's a guy who's 27, takes good care of himself. He's also kind of um, seems kind of you know maybe miserly. Doesn't take a lot of risks. Uh, takes good, hair, good mm-hmm. care of his health. Uh, he finds out that he has a tumor along his spine and he has a 50-50 chance of surviving. That's the movie. And then he also sort of meets a therapist, uh, Anna Kendrick, in this whole process of sort of grieving about his cancer. Uh, and they form a pretty close bond um, as well. I mean, that's pretty much it. And then Seth Rogen's his close friend. Um, anything to add on the basic premise? I think that's mostly what it's all about. Yeah, I I think uh, just to round out the cast, you've got Angelica Houston as uh, the mom, and uh, probably actually for my rewatch, my favorite part this time around was uh, Philip Baker Hall and Matt Frewer as uh, the Mm -hmm. guys he's going to chemo with. They're excellent. Um, Yeah, and uh, that I mean that that's that's the long and short of it. I think the probably biggest story behind this, if we're going to actually trace the film, is that screenwriter Will Reiser. Uh, wrote this semi-autobiographically. He had met Seth Rogen um, on, in the cast and crew of The Ali G Show back in 2004, and Evan Goldberg was also there, who uh, was a co-producer, and obviously they're, uh, Goldberg and Rogen are infamous duo that uh, kind of exploded in the late 2000s with Superbad, um, and uh, they got Jonathan Levine to direct um, his second feature after The Wackness in 2008, and 
it's uh, a kind of like uh, you, we talk a lot about how when movies start with a, a seed of a story, it's never something it's not often based in something uh, that is autobiographical to anybody in mm-hmm. the cast. So this is unique in that sense. And so I'm curious to hear what you guys think um, in terms of like having a cancer story that's very heavy on drama, but it's coming from essentially it's uh, born on the set of the Ali G show. <laughs> how, how does that happen? Why does anybody think this is a good idea in, you know, the late 2000s? What do you think, Blaine? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think that it turned out to be a perfect mix. I mean, because when you you know, you were talking about like your perception of it and seeing the marketing and everything, it, it it is an interesting concept to kind of mesh these things together. It's like the, the two guys that are on my podcast, Matt and Chris, they were talking and both of them said the exact same things that Dan did. And we're like, uh, you know, I watched the marketing and it just looked, oh, I thought it was going to, one of them said, I thought it was going to be too heavy. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I didn't know if I wanted to get into that, but, but I think that honestly, I, it probably aided in the comedy, the fact that he was actually, it's his story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Will's story. And and being that they wanted to take this comedy perspective, it's a lot easier to make fun of cancer when you're the guy that had it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting, too, like, um, you know, writing from an autobiographical perspective, how old do we think um, Riser was when he wrote it? Did he write it right after he had cancer? Do we know this? I don't even know. I, yeah. I think- I think so. I saw an interview as well, and it seemed like it was pretty soon after, from what I gather. Yeah, it, right. And he had—he initially did not want to, but Rogan yeah. and Goldberg kind of egged him on, saying like, "This is this is a great idea. You should pursue it. You should run with it." And I'd I'd assume that that was probably just before or shortly before, anyways. They blew up with Superbad. Um, mm-hmm. If they were writing on the Ali G show in two thousand four, and Superbad comes out in two thousand seven, like. They probably don't even have that in production yet. So they it's it's a pipe dream at that point. Well, but, you know, the right confluence of events happens and uh the you know, they they're able to uh gain funding and get the uh, attraction of uh, mandate pictures and they have their own production company at that point point gray and they probably <laughs> reapproached Riser and are like you've had the script. Let's let's make it well, happen. Well, what's interesting about that though is like uh, in one of the interviews here we have Levine's basically like the director you know, Will wrote this amazing script that got all of Hollywood buzzing about it. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering if, like, he wrote this and because Rogan uh, and Goldberg were attached, that it had this sort of cachet to it. That, like, these guys are right. super hot. Like, everything they do is, like, gold right now. Like, what, you know, and let's, mm-hmm. let's try and get this thing made. Um, I don't know. It just, it, it seems, you know, based on, like, doing this show and do the Wildlife Pocket, this seems like a really tough sell um initially yeah. it's like uh, cancer stuff is is already hard and if it's usually mm-hmm. it's a pure oscar bait film with some sort of pedigree actor that's over 50 years old mm-hmm. uh you know it's like it's a very specific formula to get a movie like this off the ground uh and, and you know probably 30 million 40 million dollar budget expectation does 100 million dollars and has a lot of awards at the very least so this one i think it does kind of feel like um, they're riding the the sort of wave of Goldberg and Ro- and Rogan in their careers as sort of you know younger producers, younger directors trying to get something off the ground here, and it just had a spark. Um, and it's just like Levine's Levine has a super fast fascinating like background. Have you guys ever seen All the Boys Love Mandy Lane? 
No. Do you guys remember the hype no, around this, this movie? I, I do no. remember it. I, I remember it, and I still I had forgotten about it until I went back and started looking at his films, and I was like, dude, I never Either saw that. Either did I. Like, I knew all about the hype and followed it, like, back in 2006, 2007, yeah. and then I forgot to ever watch it. Same, same. I feel like I'm going to have to go see it now. I was actually oh, wanting... Yeah, it's a slasher movie, yeah. and it's, yeah. like, with, in Texas. Is, I think it's, like, a little bit of Toby Hooper going on with, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Amber Heard's the lead. I think it was probably one of her yeah. first big films. But, I mean, that one's fascinating because supposed to come out in 2006 does the toronto film festival disappears because why the weinstein um, company bought it and then they sold it to somebody else and that company went out of business it was a german distribution company so it never got released in the united states till 2013 and so that's probably we haven't seen it because it's just it came wow. out seven years later so that's technically his first movie that's why i, yeah. I missed that so he did that before the wax. yeah oh yeah he okay. shot that in philly because yeah, that came out technically internationally in 2006 um and then the whackness too is like i thought the whackness did you guys see the whackness yeah i i actually didn't see that one either my first film of his that i saw i think was 50 50 and then i fell in love with warm bodies uh when All it right. came yeah. out and and that one I, I loved it i need to go back and watch that one it kind of you know it was uh, it was during that zombie craze but it, it just was it had a different vibe yeah. you know and he he had his spin on it Oh, the Wackness is great. I really like the Wackness. Yeah, is I think it? it's a, it's a really yeah. good coming of age film. Had a lot of hype when it came out. I think at a Sundance or one of the film festivals, it just mm -hmm. people were really loving it. Yeah, um, it was the Audience Award. Oh yeah, okay, there you go. Sundance, I think. Um, yeah, and it was also semi autobiographical, so it makes sense that like they locked Levine in mm -hmm. uh, to do fifty fifty. There's a similar kind of like the Wackness is maybe more i don't know it's coming of age so it's definitely dramedy like there's drama and comedy in there um but i'm i'm curious there's a, a quote from levine saying that he i mean he wasn't the first pick there was yeah. somebody else attached to 50 50 for a minute and he wasn't interested at first because he didn't really want to, to do something as heavy because he you know the the whole press circuit for the whackness had taken so much out of him he wanted to do something a little more low-key and but then uh, he had a personal experience where uh, somebody uh, that was close to him um, was diagnosed with cancer and it kind of changed his mind about it. So I'm curious what you guys think. There's this semi-autobiographical aspect. Do we have any ideas of like who was the original director? Is, is, is there anything that you could see in the whackness that would make Goldberg and Rogan be like, that's the guy we should get for this movie? Um, do we think that Levine, I mean, I agree. I like Warm Bodies too. But uh, I mean, after after that, um, he did the night before yeah. and snatched with mm -hmm. Goldie Hawn and uh, uh, Amy Schumer, and then mm -hmm. Long Shot to reunite with Rogan uh, a couple years ago. I don't know. Does this? I don't know if this guy is really like he's like not an auteur. He doesn't have like a style to him yeah. either visually or narratively. But what what what's his deal? I don't really get him. It, it seems to me, I mean, I, I think the biggest, I guess that what he's just comfortable with is handling comedy. That That's what it seems like. But I mean, as far as a visual style or anything, he doesn't really seem to have anything like that going. And it's he is kind of all over the place. It's like, you know, and he's got these connections with Seth, but it, it, it's kind of wild. I, <laughs> it's hard to pinpoint what he is doing. I was looking, I'm like, is he working on anything else? And it looks like he's doing a show like or a something show? right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's something. interesting in the fact that like I the one thing that sticks out to me, especially after watching Fifty Fifty, uh, and thinking back to the Wackness, um, and even thinking in thinking towards Long Shot, which I saw what was it last year, I think, um, mm -hmm. his ability to sort of weave in and out of genres, I think, is pretty strong. 
um, you know, looking yeah. at 50 50, this is a very fine line to walk between sadness and mm -hmm. comedy. And it does, I think, a pretty fairly good job of doing that throughout this movie. Um, that's the one thing that sticks out to me is sort of like, I look at Longshot, like, what is Longshot really about when you watch that movie? I mean, that movie is all over the place. One. I didn't it's, either. I mean, it's just yeah, like, it, 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 it really does not have a strong core to it. Uh, but he somehow like drags you through it. I would not call it a great movie. Uh, but he somehow drags <laughs> you through it and kind of makes it work. Which for what was on the page, I, it seemed like it was a pretty big feat to make it watchable. And I think that he did that. I think that that's what he yeah. does here in 5050. He makes a pretty tough story um, that should be heavy, that should be kind of a downer, but he doesn't make it feel like a downer at all, I didn't think. Uh, and actually kind of breezed right. pretty it's quickly. Almost, it, that's what I was going to say. I was going to use the exact same word. It feels breezy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It um, does. And I, I found that uh, remarkable. The, the scene that comes to mind is uh, when they're destroying the Rachel's yeah. painting um, after mm -hmm. uh, Adam and her have broken up after she cheated on him. And for whatever reason, he decides to do a split screen effect. And, you know, you have like the slow motion and the pop song playing. Uh, mm -hmm. But the just like these kind of strange narrative choices in turn that clearly are uh, from Riser's script but that are brought to life in a very straightforward way. But there's like these small flourishes like that, that uh, managed to make it kind of feel like an extended, I don't know. I got like in my rewatch, I got vibes of almost like, um, uh, like a, a, an after school special type thing where, <laughs> but without, but, but, but the saccharine stuff actually goes down easily. Yeah. So, yeah but it, yeah it's it, it's a it's a it's a strange thing and the other connection that made me think of is uh you know he reunites with joseph gordon levitt in the night before which of his mm -hmm. movies that i've seen is is not oh, one of my favorites no. uh, really i don't like either, yeah, I don't, unfortunately i just yeah really oh man yeah. that's a I think bummer it's very forgettable I, I i have a weird love for that movie <laughs> wait tell okay. us why like, i want to know why it's Dude, I have an extreme. It's it is a, a serious passion for yeah. this movie. My actually, my wife loves it too. We watch it every single Christmas. No joke. <laughs> yes, I'm completely serious. I think maybe it's just the pairing of these three yeah. guys. Like, I, I you know, I love Mackie and Rogan, and then you got JGL as well. And I, I think also, so this came out the if I remember pr right, this movie came the night before came out the same year as Krampus. Did you guys yeah, ever see Krampus? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's fun and. Yeah, yeah, that was that was an excellent movie, and so we we pair Krampus with the night before, and we watch them nice. once a year every a Christmas, and it's just this this comedy and, and the horror film, you know, well horror comedy, whatever. But uh, yeah, it's just I don't know. There's something about it, it and you know, I think some movies it, it's all about timing, and it's like when sure, you yeah. see it. Yeah, and and it just becomes this magical thing for you and it might be that you know because <laughs> it's not like i've ever heard anyone else talk about the night before aside from myself <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's good yeah exactly um, what do we make of this so. you know stick on the director a bit and the conception of the movie what do we make of this line where he says in one of the interviews for me the most compelling thing was to uh was what it's like to be 27 and find out you have 50 percent chance of living and you haven't even lived yet that was the angle I took to it. It was almost a kind of Cameron Crowe Garden State kind of thing, Oof. Uh, which I don't think was what they, I'm assuming they is Rogan and Goldberg and maybe the uh, riser. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that was quite what they envisioned. Uh, but once I talked mm -hmm. them through it, I think they really got excited about it. That to me is a pretty big tell about this movie and the style. 
did you guys see a Cameron Crowe, um, Zach Braff Garden State thing going on here? I guess like a little bit. Like my main issue with the movie, I do really enjoy this movie, and I I I was worried in the first twenty minutes or so that my rewatch was going to fall apart, and I was going to start, I was going to hate it this time around. <laughs> Um, but uh, my least favorite part of the movie is how the male characters interact with the women. And so that's probably the connection I see. Uh, <laughs> the more disturbing part of that quote that you bring up, Dan, though, is that he he starts by talking about Hal Ashby's The Last Detail, which is basically a perfect movie, and then finds a through line from that to Garden State, Cameron Crowe. Like, I'm thinking of Elizabeth Town. Oh, in God. Why'd you say that uh, word? Don't say that <laughs> word out loud. Can we ban Elizabeth Town? But, like, podcast? yeah, okay, never again. Uh, <laughs> what, what, is, uh, what is the connection there? Do, I mean, I, I definitely like this movie so much more, 50 50, than I like Garden State or Elizabeth Town. Um, but there is that kind of. Um, I don't know. There's still like a, a a healthy, unhealthy dose of toxic masculinity <laughs> coursing through the script, and and especially in Rogan's performance. So, like, what is the? I I do like the part of the quote where he says, "Like you 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 haven't even lived lived yet," and that's probably why it resonated with me a lot. Seeing it tw- at 27 yeah. um, when it comes out in theaters, because uh, I I definitely felt that heavily, especially as somebody that had known people that uh, had died of cancer including family members. But what is confusing to me is how that kind of gets lumped in. And obviously I was a different point in my life. I had just gotten married. And so like I was yeah. <laughs> in a happy, healthy relationship uh, with, with a woman, but there is no, there's no, uh, I need someone to explain this to me. What's the connection between the haven't even lived yet 27 and the the relationships with women that are going on jeez oh, that this is like the live <laughs> grenade of this movie because right. uh i mean i will say <laughs> the thing it. that stuck out to me the most i can see a direct connection to cameron crow stuff because it's the pop yeah. music mm-hmm. how he uses the music in those scenes right. is very cameron crow um there is uh, i will have to say anna kendrick kind of comes across as a uh what do you call it manic pixie dream girl type character yeah. let's be honest <laughs> manic pixie dream yeah exactly hey yeah. you know everything's okay i'm gonna be here you're gonna end up with me the end the, end the movie type thing um i think that's the thing that kind of sat a little bit uh, i was uncomfortable with uh, and certainly there's some misogyny involved with how um his girlfriend has treated uh bryce dallas howard's character uh without a doubt um but i think the thing that stuck out to me more was that how she's depicted uh that character mm-hmm. felt very uh, i got that weird feeling in my stomach that like it, it it feels a little bit um dismissive uh and a little bit sort of cruel to uh depict a, that not to say that there aren't terrible people like that in the world but it almost seemed like there was a joy in depicting her as a villain i don't know if you guys felt that and that <laughs> is that just me am i seeing that alone or do you blame what do you know yeah i i think you are right about that to a degree and it's interesting all of that kind of wrapped in because i mean like it or not i mean these are all you know they are personality t- types they are stereotypes i guess you know but 
I think, and being right around this age as well, you know, that they were, that these guys were, I'm a hair younger, but I, and I had a buddy who was basically Seth Rogen in this movie, yeah. <laughs> like in, in college. And, and I mean, now he's a good dude. He's, he's not quite as much like that now, you know, but it is a personality type. And I think it's one of those things. It was interesting to go back and see this. And almost for me, it is kind of the shocking thing because we don't see this type of depiction a whole lot anymore. And in a weird way, <laughs> and maybe this is just me being like, it was almost I, refreshing isn't the right word, but it was it was like, <laughs> it, it, like not in a I don't even want to make that sound as a good way. But it was just kind of like, dude, you don't see shit like this at no, all anymore. Yeah. I, like, yeah. this is just so wild because it is like it or not. It is a personality type. And these are young people living a certain type of yeah. life and whether it's uncomfortable or not it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't depict it you know and I, I think that sometimes with our aversion to be so careful now with things we tend to tiptoe around certain types of people that do exist like it or not and so I think it, it in a way I guess my point was in seeing that depicted in film it, it was a bit refreshing because now just for the simple fact of not making people uncomfortable we just won't have these types of characters or these interactions because of the possible repercussions of yeah. it. And, and and so it's just an interesting thing to go back and see something like that now and you know obviously there is a tact in a way that it needs to be handled and honestly now with seeing how rogan is now personally like i, I don't know that he would even act this type of a role anymore <laughs> that's a good point that's a really good point <laughs> you know it, 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 he's almost gone extremely far on the other side of the spectrum where i'd be interested to see if he was almost too careful like uh, now what was that you movie? know american pickle is that what that movie was called yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we reviewed that, <laughs> that one yeah a little tough. i mean talk about the other but the other, the other side of things yeah he's like he's almost like a he's so demure or whatever in that movie just not mm -hmm. vibrant mm -hmm. at all and here he is like ferocious no yeah he right. is and i mean that scene where he's laying into her about you know uh just Gordon Gary, uh, Levitt's character needing to break up with her. He's so brutal. Oh, man, and it yeah. was just like, oh my God, like I cannot imagine being in this position. But at the same time, I'm like, ah, I know somebody that like would have handled this kind of similarly. <laughs> so, right, it, it, right. you know, it, it is a type, like it or not, but it, it is uncomfortable to say the least. Um, well, what I found interesting about that, I mean, we can talk about that relationship too, the mm -hmm. between yeah. the best friend. Mm -hmm. and the protagonist and you have like this uh i mean that was a whole that was a phenomenon in this time period maybe we're more on the tail end of it when 50 50 came out but there was like yeah. uh i mean we've talked about this dan we talked about it on the wildland podcast too i think when we were uh trying to uh i'm, I'm blanking on the yeah. kind of movie the name of the movie because a lot of them have become forgettable by now um especially like the imitators of the apatow universe <laughs> but like there's uh a distinct like memory i had and my wife uh -huh. had it too uh which is interesting from a woman's perspective that this was very much a movie centered around like this uh sweet friendship mm -hmm. um and that was totally my recollection too and yet when, on my rewatch i was like i didn't like and maybe it's an age thing right 10 years later mm -hmm. i was definitely keying more into uh the relationship with the therapist yeah and also the relationship with his mom and the the seth rogan character almost felt shoehorned in yeah, there that's to be like of course he's got to have a best friend character of course he has to have a sidekick 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and I didn't really see that as much this time around. Or like I mentioned earlier, the 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 sweet friendships he made with uh, Philip Baker Hall and Matt Frewer's characters uh, in Chemo, and that almost felt like the least affecting relate uh, dynamic between characters, other than the ex girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I would even go so far as to say, like, there's that the scene when um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, who I think does as well as she yeah. can with the role, yeah. uh, where she's trying to explain. And, you know, obviously the, the hypocrisy is up front about her saying, you know, how difficult it is. But there was a moment where, like, I did I did kind of feel for for her not knowing how to navigate this, just like the mother doesn't know how to navigate this, just like the mm-hmm. therapist who's only on her third patient ever doesn't know how to navigate this which is like a kind of ongoing theme throughout the film and i was also something that i noticed more this time around than 10 years ago but you don't have that with seth rogan's character i'm i was trying to search for it but then i i mean maybe this is also because we uh did an anniversary episode on swingers recently but it very much felt like (laughs) and overly antiquated felt more like 25 years ago than 10 years ago the way that he's on the prowl at the bar every night but like you said blaine like those people do exist I yep. just had trouble imagining that JGL's character would have a best friend like that. Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. He, the thing is that th- this does, it did come at the tail end of the so Apatow knocked up super bad t- time period mm-hmm. with that super. That's one of the things too. I want to talk like, is this, is a lot of this improv? It sounds like some of it was, some of it wasn't. Um, it has that looseness to it. He, he is boorish. I think one of the reviewers calls him boorish um but i uh, yeah that part of it seems odd i would i would counter that with this how is this movie interesting without rogan like i mean that's i'm gonna (laughs) throw it out there that's an open question i mean he literally makes the film engaging he does and he interjects so much comedy in that first 30 minutes like i I found myself laughing more than i remember laughing even the first time in that first 30 minutes and a lot of it is coming from some of the stuff that he's doing i think that he's kind of just even though he is kind of peppered in there he's just slowly pulling uh, pulling you along through the movie he's like the catalyst i think and i you know and i have to say this um I don't want to, but I'm no, actually, I do want to. Um, <laughs> Levitt, uh, our boy, yeah, uh, who I think is one of the most even, uneven actors I've ever seen in my life. His career <laughs> is all over the place. I think you made a note about that, yeah. Um, and, and I say this mm-hmm. as someone who, uh, in some cases loves his work. Like, I thought what he did in 500 Days of Summer only two years before this was amazing. Uh, um i think his stuff in inception i really liked um Mm -hmm. there is something about his more recent work uh i'm thinking about this and then uh the edward snowden movie whatever that was called oh god Uh, i didn't even yeah i didn't even see it on here i was like what was it called it was literally (laughs) called snowden it was snowden i found I, i don't know there's something very and I think this is one of the biggest troubles I had with the movie is the dynamic is very uneven. Rogan sucks up the air in the room. And to some degree, so does um, Angelica Houston. She's, I think she's fantastic. Anna Kendrick, I think, is very strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Bryce, uh, yeah. Bryce Dall- Dallas Howard is great for the role that she has. Um, I, just think, I think Levitt's the, like, the weak leg of the table here. Mm-hmm. He just, I, and this is you know, it's a personal opinion thing. It just, he seems very... Um, almost too 
muted throughout this entire thing. Yeah, he has cancer and he's dying. I understand that part of it. <laughs> but um, there's just not a spark with his character. And I don't know if you guys felt that or is that kind of me alone? Um, we guys, you felt like he wasn't wasn't all there he wasn't he didn't hit a grand slam this movie he kind of did okay i i agree with you and, and i think some of it a little bit of it at least might be due to some of the mm-hmm. writing uh and how that character was portrayed and i, I do wonder if some of that it, it's just he, he felt very dry yeah. you know there just wasn't a, there wasn't there weren't many layers to him he didn't outside of like you know i recycle like <laughs> you know it's like yeah. all right what what else is there to this guy i don't drive like he's he's a, a bit of a fearful guy but there just wasn't a lot of personality there it felt like to mine from that which is really wild because the writer is writing about himself so it's like you'd think that he would want to interject like you know some personality in there but i did feel that i would i was wondering like this is riser's still only feature film script Mm -hmm. uh he has one that's been languishing in development called jamaica um that's never been made uh and then like you mentioned earlier dan there is definitely an improvisation element uh, that both Levine and Riser, I think, had to kind of get used to with Rogan and Goldberg probably driving the show for the most yeah. part because it's their money. Uh, and I, I mean, I, w- I was concerned about that throughout. There were moments that I think he did very well. Uh, I don't, like I mentioned earlier, I don't love him, but I don't dislike him as an actor. Uh, I think he's fantastic, not only in Five Hundred Days of Summer, but also Brick yes, so and uh, Looper. Brick, yeah. Uh, even though he's doing the Bruce Willis impression. But I think that there's so many choices that he's made over the years. And I I, I worry that he kind of broke himself in 2013 when he starred, wrote, and directed Don John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember yeah. that movie. <laughs> and I, I I just feel like he was, I mean, he was, he was working himself to death uh, pretty much from um, Mysterious Skin all the way till uh, Don John. And mm-hmm. I think that there there is definitely an element of people saw him as that everyman yeah. character, and so he, he you know he could be the army vet in Stop Loss, he could be the army supervillain in GI Joe, and <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. So there's <laughs> there's there's kind of this you know people wanted him to be one of those chameleon actors, but really yeah. I actually think I'm trying to think back like this movie and Five Hundred Days and Brick yeah. are probably his only really memorable roles in feature film. Um, and then you have uh, this uh, kind of script that yes, is semi-autobiographical, but is constantly at odds. I think like, is there a nut? Can you think of another heavily improvised semi-autobiographical film? I think that those two styles, even though they get the tone right between drama and comedy, between bromance and relationship, uh, like domestic stuff, they don't really get the get the the depth right of any of these characters, in yeah. my opinion. And I I, I really mm-hmm. felt like, and you know, that's one of the the side effects. Maybe it's a double edged sword when you're trying to both like do something that was made popular less than a decade earlier by like Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, but then not going for the absurdism but there are some moments that really work like Mm -hmm. uh the infamous hair shaving scene which uh is you know just a one take thing he's literally shaving his head and uh they had to take what they 
what they got and i think it it works um and then same with the there's a the moment when anna kendrick visits him post-surgery at the end of the film and uh there's an awkward pause and he tells her that he's peeing right now like there <laughs> there's some moments where yeah. like i think levitt is killing it but the, like you said blaine i don't think the script is giving him enough weight yeah uh and i wonder if there's there was some kind of thing going on on either in production or maybe even in the edit where uh you know risers I, w- I would be very curious to read risers original draft and see how different it is see if we get to know adam more as a person mm-hmm. uh rather than worrying about all the the, the background uh, originally called i'm with cancer which did not do very well <laughs> on yeah, the test screen yeah. weird work oh man i mean what do we so that's kind of like what we've sort of thinking about the movie what did other critics say i mean 93 mm-hmm. percent rotten tomatoes um with blaine you're a, a rotten tomato expert that's pretty high yeah. right <laughs> it's true yeah it's very high yeah yeah it is it, it's hard to hit in the 90s you don't see a lot of them and honestly for it to be close behind with the audience of an 88 percent is really solid as well to to stay up to have both of them up that high it's it's very rare we've only had a very small handful of those in the past year and, yeah, a half. and that's that surprises me because this would feel like this to me um kind of screams like one of those movies that's directed or presented one way and the audience wants something else mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. like the cinema score too was a minus that's opening night surveys that's strong for a movie like this that is not an i don't know it's it's kind of an easy watch on one level the other other it's not at all it's about someone dying from cancer i mean it's not exactly a, <laughs> a fun movie to watch on a friday night right it could have been one of those things where people were honestly pleasantly surprised yeah. and it could have been a word yeah. of mouth thing too, you know, where it spreads, where it's like, you know, Oh, actually I ended up going to see it and it's not that sad. It's really funny. You should check it totally, out, yeah. you know? And because I mean, it's got 50,000 uh, audience reviews on here. Like that's yeah. a lot. And so, I mean, there's a, which obviously this has been out for 10 years and it's had 10 years for people to, you know, give a little bit of a review on this as far as audience but still i mean that's a lot of people liking this movie and i wouldn't have guessed either of these numbers to be this high yeah and then with the metacritic 72 real real uh, rotten tomatoes score 77 those are both pretty high um letterbox i thought was interesting at a 72 which is kind of in the good range hmm. letterbox has their own mm-hmm. crazy scoring system uh imdb 76 uh and then cinema score of a minus i mean it does seem like this is one of those films that both critics and audiences love especially 10 years later the the box office performance i think was decent you know uh eight million dollar production budget not that much to cover does about what 41 million dollars worldwide at the end of the day um which is pretty strong like did they make a lot of money off of this no uh did it lose money probably not it kind of seems like a break even or make a little bit of money situation um Mm -hmm. and so do we think that you know critically that we have some like you know critic pull quotes here do we think critics would change their opinion now versus what they were saying back when this thing came out probably yeah i think the the gender uh stuff alone Pretty would probably have made it one of the one of the inter- most interesting uh kind of 10 years later stories of one of the original reviews ann hornaday of the washington post gave it one of the best reviews at the time Uh, She put it in her top 20 of the year. She said, considering that any one of those elements talking about uh, the cancer and, uh, you know, boorish humor, stuff like that, have scuttled its fragile mix of drama, comedy and life and death stakes. 50-50 beats the odds with modest, utterly winning ease. Like we were just kind of saying, like it's almost Mm -hmm. effortless how 
much this movie works and charms you at the end of it. But then uh, fast forward five years later and Elliot Roger guns down a number of uh, women yeah. um, and, and makes national news. And Anne Hornaday does a uh, kind of in-depth opinion piece about uh, sexism specifically in romance movies and that relationship with women that is incredibly toxic and nowadays uh, is like Blaine mentioned earlier uh, skirted so much that <laughs> maybe even it's to a fault uh, mm -hmm. and yet uh, she still like went back and when uh, Rogan and Apatow had gotten wind of her article that had mentioned those kinds of movies by name um, they they said some pretty awful things like you think about how much rogan has changed over 10 years i think even over five years like he mm -hmm. was he was still using the c word to you know call out uh uh female <laughs> critics uh in 2014 so uh yeah. so they you know they they ripped her apart and uh even though she i think made a pretty important argument at the time to uh make sure we understand um the relationship that media has just like we had a, a important conversation last year about the way that media has a, a kind of strange portrayal of police in the age of George yeah. Floyd. Uh, so I think that uh, it's, it's, it definitely would not get reviewed as well today, but I also think that if it was made today, they probably would have gone through some more edits, maybe left some of that stuff on the cutting room floor. I mean, that kind mm -hmm. of, Oh, go ahead, Blake. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just I, I saw an interview last night was I was going to bring up and it was really funny because it was Rogan and he was it was him sitting down with uh, oh god the guy that wrote it will yeah. um, and, and they were chatting about basically making this movie and Rogan goes, oh, well, you know, we're not uh, we're not worried about offending anyone at all. Uh, I, I, you know, basically, if if this is how the character's written and this is a type of person, then we don't really, you know, we're not we're not really have any issues with offending anyone, and we think it'll be fine. And I'm just like, you would never say yeah. that right oh, yeah. now, right. like, and, and it's just fascinating because it's like you talk about even just in the fa past five years, like the shift that he's gone through, and it's like I'm sure that there is to a degree a. a some some sort of middle ground because it's like you know a lot of there are a lot of discussions happening here around comedy in general nowadays where it's like at what point does comedy die and where do you let it live you know how careful do you uh, do you have to be and this movie obviously is extra difficult because it's not just a comedy it is also right. a drama film so you do have to be careful there because you're going to get different types of audiences and it's not just a comedy but it is just things have changed so drastically um kind of along the review stuff the one that I really like from back in the day when it came out is uh, from Stephanie Zacharak from Movie Line. Uh, the picture could be so much better than it is, yet it's also the kind of movie that makes you want to grade on the curve, adding <laughs> extra points for good intentions. I mean, that's one of the things that I think, I, even when I'm thinking about my own opinion of this, um, even 10 years later, I am grading on a curve. Uh, because mm -hmm. cancer is one of those things where... Everybody has someone alive who's had cancer. Everybody, for the most part, knows someone who's died of cancer. Um, do you think that, uh, and this is going to be a tough, uh, maybe a tough question, do you think this movie adds to that shared experience of what it's like to go through cancer, to have someone in your life have cancer? Does it accurately represent that experience? Um, 
or does it kind of muddle it a little bit? I mean, I, I, how do you think, you know, this is like jumping to like artistic intention and like importance of, of art and culture and all of that. I love getting highfalutin. Um, but like, do you think, what does it add to the discussion? Does it add to the discourse of, of cancer and, and what people are going through and, and that on a bigger scale? I think at this time period, there was definitely still, um, it's almost ironic since we talk about, you know, the things that aren't being done in comedy anymore that were being done back then. But mm-hmm. I think uh, on the flip side, you were still in a moment when, for whatever stupid reason, not only were we still like not letting people laugh about things like yeah. cancer and movies mm-hmm. like this and a lot of stand-up specials from that time period, I think um, the Tignataro special comes to mind, which I think was around that same era. Uh, where she basically just talks an hour, for an hour about having cancer, and it's fantastic. It's one of the best pieces of stand-up ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, there's really an interesting um, approach, even though it's problematic, because <laughs> he freaking goes on a date with her at the end, <laughs> but about mental health yeah. and about uh, like the normalizing going to therapy, because that was a huge thing, I think. Like, And I, I mean, I went through it, uh, where there was like my early 20s like i probably i definitely needed therapy but i (laughs) avoided it because it was so stigmatized in society even for like a middle-aged white guy uh and so i felt like there was um not necessarily something important being added to like the coping with cancer coping with loved ones who have cancer discourse because i think that was ultimately pretty rote but i also think that cancer it's pretty rote and that's also why i think that the the relationship with the guys at chemo was so important because that's really where it became. Um, it's one of the few parts of the film where I felt like there was some kind of uh, naturalism to it, yeah. where mm-hmm. to the point where it, it maybe did feel more like an Ashby movie where you have, uh, yeah, kind of like you fill Baker Hall dropping the F bomb and them getting high together. But mm-hmm. uh, there was definitely still like this, uh, like you mentioned grading on a curve where I'm like, I love these scenes so mm-hmm. much and it makes it feel so important for this stuff to be depicted, especially in this time period that I, I don't really care about the other stuff nearly as much as maybe I would, if this was not about cancer, not about mental health, not about, um, uh, drug use, uh, marijuana, but also mm-hmm. maybe it was, you know, uh, I don't know, fucking movie about, uh, I'm trying to think of another example because there's so few movies to kind of compare this to where it's trying to do the boorish stuff with the heartstring stuff. Can you guys think um, of any? I don't know. Blaney got anything? Man, I was trying to do the same thing and I couldn't come up uh, with anything. And that was that was one of my thoughts watching it was I was like, I don't even remember. I, I can't recall anything even fitting into this genre that I've seen in a long time. What about time. funny people? Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know what? Actually, that was the one that I thought about when I was watching this. It was the only thing that I could think of comparing With Judd to. Apatow. I does he? That's does perfect. Sandler actually have cancer in that movie, or is he lying? Uh, he I does have he cancer. Did. Yeah, yeah. He's okay. actually dies. Okay. Yeah, supposedly dying. Yeah, I guess that, you know you think about that one and yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, there's something about it where I think yeah, Chris really a lot of good points about it. it does bring up front this experience that you know people are having. And they're putting it on the big screen and they're sort of opening up and making that transparent that like, yeah, a lot of people are going through this. This is what it can be like. It doesn't have to be this um, 
absolute despair 24 7 right mm-hmm. there is you know a sort of way that you can go through it uh and but also normalizing that despair well see too. i think that's the yeah. part i don't know the, the, the biggest problem i probably had with it was the cameron crowish elements which yeah. you know like cancer is you know it's a very broad term for a lot of things and a lot of different experiences sure. um but it's like his type of cancer is a very dangerous type of cancer and uh i think the one thing that i kind of missed and this might have just been me i never felt that despair like real like darkness you know what i mean uh it kind of mm-hmm. felt like and maybe that's because of the tone shifting in and out of this sort of breeziness right i don't know if i ever felt that moment besides when he's in the car right before the night before the surgery and he kind of quote unquote loses it he's not really losing it he's just expressing his anger uh at this situation besides that moment it does kind of feel like cancer is a plot device to sort of you know deliver a romantic story deliver jokes and stuff like that i don't know if there's ever a mirror held up to like what it's probably actually like to face that and that's the one thing that i think watching this now uh that felt like a pretty big hole to me was that like um yes it's very hard to weave in and out of genres and stuff like that but ultimately you have to have the dark part and the dark comedy and i just didn't it didn't hit for me that part of it. i don't know if you guys had a similar experience or like if you want to comment on that at all but that's one of the things where it was sort of like i love the comedy of this movie in fact i really enjoyed that part of it um it's just that the dark part of it didn't really connect with me i kind of agree a bit with that as well it, i i when i finished i was thinking you know i could have even used maybe just 10 more minutes of just a little bit more you know meat on these bones yeah. <laughs> it's a it just pretty a short runtime for a it is. movie yeah. it is and i mean it's an easy watch but it i think it could have easily taken just a little bit more time with some of the stuff that you're talking about to just give it a little bit more substance and to really grasp and understand where he is in his dealing with the cancer yeah chris what do you think about that i I do think i think the there are the moments are few and far between and they definitely could have been uh emphasized more there is one that i didn't remember the first time around that really stuck with me this time for whatever reason um and maybe it's just getting older um but there's a there's a moment in the movie it, it also kind of took me out of it because of the time period he's got two he's sitting on the couch uh levitt and he's got two phones in his hand, right? One the landline, one the cell phone. And at first I'm like, what the fuck is he? Why does he have two cell phones? But then when I realized that, and there was just like, it's just the pop song playing in the background. Um, but he's got this expression on his face and he's just sitting. He's not, because there's a lot of like watching TV in the movie and, uh, you know, paging through books at the bookstore and then paging through the book in the bathroom near the end. But in this scene, he's just sitting and just staring into the void and Skeletor the dog is just sitting there on the floor. And I thought it was a really nice grace note to, to, for that final act turn. But like you guys mentioned, I wish they almost would have just pushed to that more. Yeah. If they would have really let us see how dark that is. Similar to when uh, there's the back and forth in the therapist's office, when he's just being a complete asshole to Kendrick's mm-hmm. character. And he, he, he almost realizes it. Um, but it's not punctuated enough maybe because they don't want it to get too heavy. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Yeah. And and there was the the extremely awkward sex scene, and then oh, the God. morning after, <laughs> you know, that was that was a little rough too. But you oh, know, God. what do you guys? Any closing thoughts on uh, fifty fifty here? I'll just say what I you know, I like this film. I think it's definitely if you haven't seen it and you like the Rogan esque comedies of the sort of mid two thousands ish, it's absolutely worth seeing because it has a lot of that in it. Uh, while also delivering, I think, a pretty interesting, compelling story at the end of the day. So I think it's a, it's a really cool mixture of a film that um, kind of a tightrope, and sometimes it lands, sometimes it doesn't, but it's kind of cool just to see them attempt it and see what they come up with scene after scene to make this thing, you know, hit the 90-minute mark and actually feel like a complete story. Uh, so I think that's a really cool aspect of this. I don't know, Blaine, what do you think? Any final thoughts on this movie? Man, yeah, I I totally agree. I, I definitely think it's worth going back and watching, and it it is interesting. And even just to see all of these folks, you know, ten years down the road, and just going back and seeing, like Bryce looks so young <sighs> in this young, movie. Yeah. I was just like, because at first I almost didn't recognize yeah. her, and I was like, who is that? And then it kind of dawned on me. But it's like to see these all of these folks in the early portions of their career and. And it is an easy breezy watch, you know. It is like you said; it's it's a ninety minute movie. Like it's not hard and it's to watch. It's not too heavy. It does ride that line well. It's not perfect, but it doesn't have to be. And I think I, I think that they executed what they were attempting yeah, fairly well. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, since uh, I I think you summed it up pretty well, Blaine. That idea of uh, it's not perfect, but it doesn't have to be, yeah. and there's there's few movies i feel where like that's a justifiable statement because mm -hmm. i always think <laughs> that you know when i get disappointed by a movie i always think you could have tried harder <laughs> but with this one it's like uh they there there's something honest about it and i think that's per mm. perhaps a testament to rogan's uh, initial popularity is that he can be that offensive uh kind of just stupid guy and still has this side to him that's sweet and endearing and authentic, and um, I think it's an I think it's an important entry in that kind of uh, canon of the the, the yeah. comedy uh, spectrum that happened during this time period. And while I don't know if it would get made today or if it would be as interesting uh, if it was made today, um, or if even if it was made ten years prior to that, I think it came at a pretty perfect time. And even, and I mean, I, I would say that uh, there's enough fascinating things going on there that not only would it be uh, a, a good watch for anybody that hasn't seen it yet, um, but also a good rewatch and also makes me kind of hope that we get another script from Riser, mm -hmm. um, it, it, even if it's not uh, semi-autobiographical, uh, though this one Jamaica that it has been languishing uh, apparently also is about when he was a kid uh, visiting mm -hmm. Jamaica um, in, the, in the 90s. So I'm I'm curious to see not only how Levine continues to kind of operate, uh, hoping hoping that Levitt gets back on track and hoping that we also get a, a funny non-American pickle esque <laughs> Rogan movie in the near future. <laughs> yeah, agree, uh, agree. But that also there, if this is a good collection of people trying their damnedest, and it ends up being, uh, I think, if not vital, definitely important work of art. Yeah. Uh, Blaine, what do you got coming up on uh, Critically Aroused? Oh man, uh, we have we will be dropping our in the heights episode probably today. Nice. Honestly, uh, I've been slacking this week 
work kicked my butt so i was moving slow (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah we've got that and then i actually think that we're talking about doing the new uh the new marky mark movie that they released on what is that i don't even know what that (laughs) is what is this yeah it's it's called infinite and they dropped it on paramount plus i think it was supposed to be a theater release and paramount ended up yanking it up and putting it on their app instead and so uh, you know i uh, it'll be interesting at the very least so i'm like there probably aren't a lot of people reviewing this in general (laughs) so but it it basically sounds like did you guys see the old guard that was on netflix Uh, i saw parts of it never got around to it okay i I was not a fan the other two on the review liked it i did not uh but it similar concept immortal people that are like warriors that are then fighting through time i guess i don't know (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah 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 100 percent. which uh is perfect for my two co-hosts dumb so (laughs) love it (laughs) directed by antoine fuqua i yeah i'm gonna check this out right thank you all right yeah so everybody listen to the in the the heights episode coming up on critically aroused hopefully hopefully today we're holding you to it it's coming out today yeah yeah i know right (laughs) gun to my head exactly Um, awesome thanks for listening and then next week right um are you excited for this one chris no, what? I'm not. Not. it's um, new steven soderbergh are you kidding me the man's a genius i know. i i have to always have low you, know, you have to you just i know so we're gonna do um <laughs> you never we're know. gonna do uh no sudden move which i don't even know when it comes out i forgot when it comes out uh it comes on like the first i think of july so we'll do the show right after that yeah. uh it's a period crime like a thriller 1950s detroit you got don Cheadle, uh david harbour john ham uh benicio del toro I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That's why I chose it. Um, and so uh, definitely check that out. So that'll probably post around July 4th. Uh, July 4th. Um, in any event, thanks for listening. This has been Film Choice. Film Choice.